To keep your business alive, you'll need to market your products and services. Unfortunately, almost half of small business owners run marketing entirely on their own. And guess what? About half of business owners spend only two hours a week on marketing. Ouch. With so little resources devoted to finding new leads and sales, you'd better avoid those marketing tactics that waste your time or hurt your business. That's why today we're talking about marketing pet peeves and ideas for what you can do instead to generate more leads and clients for your business. Hey you, you're listening to the Messy Desk Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want to achieve more without the overwhelm and drama. Because although business and life get messy, that doesn't mean things have to be hard. Join us as we help you cope with the chaos and banish your barriers so that you can move forward in your entrepreneurial journey. I'm Megan Monahan, And I'm Teresa Safali. Let's get on with it. Okay, Teresa. Yeah. Today's topic is near and dear to me. As you know, I have a long list, a long list of marketing pet peeves. We can't do them all today. <laughs> we can't. I know. Darn it. I think it's because I've had to recover from the worst marketing advice. I'm not the only one either. Many small business owners struggle with marketing and bad marketing advice. Look, I'm going to say it. Generating leads and turning those leads into customers takes hard work, persistence, and time. But you're always hearing, oh, just do this. Just do that for marketing. The experts make it sound like there is an easy button as if marketing takes so little time. Not only that, but the marketing advice out there seems outdated or out of touch with the small business owner. I do know this. Many small businesses struggle with marketing and they struggle with making time for marketing, me included. Marketing is challenging when you're busy delivering services. It's overwhelming to go get new leads and sales when you're swamped in the trenches. So what say you? Uh, well, I wish I could say I disagree. I will say this, though. I think as a culture, we want things to be quick and easy. So we look for that magic solution and we buy into the, if you build it, they will come mentality. And it just doesn't work that way. Good point. I mean, people do desire quick and easy. And unfortunately, I'm one of them. So yeah, that's true. Right. But to do it right, you have to work at it. And more than two hours a week. It takes time to cultivate a marketing strategy. You have to dedicate the time. It's critical. And getting that piece right can make all the difference in your business. Amen to strategy. The facts support that many marketers find generating traffic and leads as one of their top challenges, if not their number one challenge. But that's not really a surprise when so many small business owners run marketing entirely on their own for only a couple hours a week. Time, money, people, the resources just aren't there to do what needs to be done to market the business. So yeah, it's no wonder that generating leads and sales is like climbing Mount Everest every week. Unfortunately, the marketing advice that we often hear makes this mountain even harder to climb, and that really annoys me. So that's why today we're talking about our marketing pet peeves. I'm excited about this topic. I think it's going to be fun. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm dancing around. People can't see that in the podcast, but I'm dancing around. I think it's going to be fun and I think it's going to be a little bit controversial. So I'm kind of excited about that aspect too. So why don't you start with number one on your list? Oh, sure. Send me to the lions first. Um, okay. So the first marketing pet peeve on my list is I'm doing the air quotes. I know you can't see them. Just run Facebook ads. Uh, <laughs> so here's, I think, what the thinking is. So according to Facebook's Q3 earnings report from 2019, they have 2.45 billion monthly active users. So running some Facebook ads seems like a no-brainer, right? That is an epic ton of active users. And I guess that's why marketers and business owners are completely obsessed with Facebook ads. Yep. Facebook ads might be a great idea for you, but it isn't really all that simple. Before you go dumping a ton of money into Facebook ads, there's information you need to know first. For example, who's your demographic and are they even on Facebook? So according to that same earnings report, the fastest growing demographic on Facebook is women 65 and older. If that's your target, awesome. But if you're trying to reach teens in the U.S., they just aren't there. In that instance, you might want to focus your efforts on Instagram, where 72% of U.S. teens say that's where you can reach them about new products or brands. However, before you spend any money on any kind of advertising anywhere, you need the right information. The kind of information you find by doing one of Megan's favorite things, <laughs> researching. Yeah. That's an absolute must. You can sell it. Go ahead. Celebrate that, girl. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> research, research. That's actually a big secret. Research. Important. Yeah. Well, because well, it takes a little bit of time to do research and... Most people don't realize they need to do it, and it's something that takes effort, right? And we, again, getting back to that whole quick and easy thought in your head. But anyway, getting back to this point of research, you need to do the research so that you have something to create an actual ads strategy. And what really bothers me about that, you know, just run Facebook ads advice is that it implies that all you need to do is run an ad and then you'll have success. And okay, can that happen? On occasion, you can get lucky, but that's not how it works most of the time in reality. To get the most out of your ad spend, you need to create a strategy. So to drive the point home, instead of thinking about the ad and the mechanics of it, develop a strategy and run the strategy. You can't possibly expect to run Facebook ads or any marketing tactic without strategy first. Yep. <laughs> strategy and research are where you start. You know, I say that all the time. There are plenty of advertising platforms to choose from these days, but you need to pause and strategize first. Strategy is what makes you understand the why and the what of your marketing tactics. In other words, what tactics you're using and why. Okay, number one on my list of pet peeves is the survey. <laughs> the advice is to survey your audience to find out what they want. Have you heard this, Teresa? Oh, yeah. I've been given this piece of advice multiple times from top gurus. I honestly find it quite daunting, and I've never gotten useful information from conducting a traditional survey, to be honest. Yeah, same here. I mean, on the surface, this seems like really good advice. After all, 
makes sense to ask your potential customers what they want, right? Right. But there are actually a lot of variables with surveys. For instance, there's actually a science behind survey questions. I'm not sure if most people realize that. Probably not. So if you're not experienced in this area, and most of us are not. Like me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Then you can run into issues just based on the questions alone. Another variable is the respondents. So who's participating in the survey? If you're asking random people on social media, they aren't your target market. You've got to qualify survey participants. You don't want to make an important business decision based on survey answers from just random people. You need relevant data collected from your target market. Once you do find participants, what will you do to get them to answer your survey questions? I mean, we know this. People are often reluctant to participate in surveys. They're busy. They're not interested. They have no incentive to spend their time helping you with your goals. And heck, what if you don't have an audience because you're just starting out in business? Maybe you don't know enough about your customer yet. There's that to consider too. So those are some factors that make surveying your audience more complicated than it initially sounds. Again, you're hoping to glean some business insight from your survey, so you want accurate data. But surveys aren't as simple and as straightforward as they're made out to be. Are you getting an idea of why I'm so annoyed with the suggestion to just survey your audience? (laughs) Definitely. A survey does require experience and a lot of thought. It's not simple by any means, and it needs to be taken seriously. All right, so what do you do instead of conducting random surveys on social media? I suggest that you research. Hmm, There's a theme (laughs) happening here. (laughs) Yeah, market research. Look at ratings, reviews, blog comments, and social media comments. You can look at other products and services to see what the competition is doing and what they are not doing. You can even read your competitors' testimonials and case studies to find market research. I mean, I think that's a really good bit of information there, uh, if I do say so myself. <laughs> I love I love that. Actually, it's one of my favorite things to research. So, <laughs> Research, well, I was just saying about competitors' testimonials and case studies, because, you know, you never think about that to go look at what they're saying, because a lot of times they'll say what they love about the product or service. So then you can really, you know, find out more info. Anyway, research reveals the questions people are asking and how they feel about topics, ideas, their struggles, and how they feel about the existing solutions that are being offered in the marketplace. So I really feel like this is a goldmine for you. I think so too. Now I'm not saying that a survey is never a good idea. About six years ago, I actually collected data by interviewing small business owners who were in my target market. Basically, I used a list of survey questions to interview participants and get their answers. This was actually part of an online program I was in at the time through uh, marketing expert Derek Halpern. From, I think he was from Social Triggers, but I don't, I don't think he's doing that anymore. Anyway, with this format, I could get initial reactions and ask follow-up questions. So I felt like this format gave me more insight than a typical digital survey would. And side note, I received excellent feedback. So I think surveying in this manner could really be worthwhile. Really? <laughs> I didn't know that. Um, what'd you find out? 
the survey was about custom website design. So I asked questions like, would these business owners invest in a custom website? What would they be willing to pay? Almost all the participants were not willing to pay for a custom website. They felt like a template from their ISP was good enough. They were really budget conscious and a custom site just wasn't a priority. So this data was really helpful because I was offering custom website design and if nobody wanted it, then what the heck, right? right. So I phased that service out. Uh, I, I should have phased it out sooner based on those results, but I mean, I phased it out and that was the important takeaway there. So I think you used a survey in your business, right? It was very controlled and it wasn't a random smattering of unknowns on the interwebs, right? It was, I think you consulted with a professional, right? <clears throat> um, yes to all of that. I'd attempted to conduct surveys before and I got little to no results. So when the coach I was working with at the time suggested it, I was like looking for the nearest exit, like, bye, not doing that. Um, <laughs> so, but the process she, that she suggested yielded way better results for me. Um, I asked a very few targeted long answer questions that I used to help validate a product idea. I personally asked a small group of individuals who I knew were my ideal client to participate, and I learned so much from that process, and I got some really great language to use in my marketing as well. So I would do it again that way. Yeah, so that advice isn't completely worthless. It's just the way that it's phrased by experts to just go do a survey on social media. is It's just not the, not the best way. Right. My next pet peeve well, I can't believe it's made it to my list at all in the year 2020, but sadly, here it is. Within the last six months, I was listening to a training about networking and communication. And when I heard this advice, I nearly spontaneously combusted. Here's the advice. They said, add everyone you meet to your email marketing list and email them all the time. I wish you could see Megan, her eyes are about to pop out of her head. Um, what do you think about that advice, Megan? <laughs> well, my facial expressions probably gave it away, but I think that that's definitely bad advice unless you want to tick off people or break laws. And it's perfect for that. Yeah, right. <laughs> so this is one of the downsides of networking. There aren't many, but there are a few. Some people believe that the act of you handing them your business card gives them permission to add you to their list. To avoid confusion here, let's be very clear. Sending a personal follow-up email with somebody that you met at an event is good etiquette. Adding that person to your personal contact list so that you can reach out to them at another time or maybe send them a referral, that's okay. Adding them to your company's newsletter or any other list that is sending out promotions, not okay. Knock it off. I'm just going to say it like that. Not only is it bad manners, but there are serious consequences for doing that. First, you could get flagged as spam. Second, once an email gets flagged as spam, say in Gmail, your future emails will also go, guess where? Spam. Spam. Third, you get flagged often enough as spam and your sending reputation just decreases, plummets. Did you even know? I bet, you, did you know you had a sending reputation? Um, I kind of knew that, but I didn't know that what is what it was called. Yep. So it that would cause providers like Google or MSM to flag all your emails going anywhere as spam. I think which means no one will get them. Yeah, nobody will get them. We need a sound effect there. (laughs) (laughs) 
And fourth, if you're not following FTC Can Spam Act guidelines, you could end up with some serious fines. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars. Ouch, that would be bad. Yeah, it would. So instead, always use best practices. Ask for permission. Get relevant people to opt in for a freebie training or webinar. I think this one's really important because it's not everybody. It's the people that will be interested in your services. If you think Uh everyone is interested in your services, you need to have another look at your avatar. But I digress. What else is new? You also want to make sure that you're following the FTC's Can Spam Act guidelines. And then when you do email your list, always lead with value. Using best practices will help you build a list of relevant followers who are actually interested in your product and your services. And they also will trust you more. Getting permission, following FTC guidelines, and leading with value helps establish the no like, and trust factor that's essential for building raving fans and ambassadors. So I share this pet peeve with you, Teresa, mostly because I've been on the receiving end of that advice. Uh, not so much, though, at a networking event, more so with social media. So mostly LinkedIn. I mean, you know how it goes. You accept a request on LinkedIn, and then that person takes it as an invitation to add you to their list. So I'm just saying in that scenario, I not only unsubscribe from that person's list, I also go back into LinkedIn and I unlink from them. That's a major foul in my book. So it's also an immediate unlink, right? I mean, I'm not going to stick around. No. So this next pet peeve of mine is probably going to get me into trouble. I think there's going to be nasty (laughs) comments. I can feel it in my bones. I think my feelings on this topic are controversial, but here it goes anyway. I really can't stand to hear another person tell me to build an email list off of a free lead magnet like an ebook. This tactic takes a really long time and it's not as effective as it used to be. And I would even argue it's really just not that effective, uh, not when you look at other tactics. So let's talk about what a lead magnet is real quick so that we're on the same page. A lead magnet is a free incentive that you offer people to get them to opt into your email list. So they give you their email address or their contact information in exchange for some free item. A lead magnet attracts prospects or leads to your business, hence its name. That makes sense. (laughs) That sure does. Uh, Not everything in marketing does make sense, but that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) People also call lead magnets freebies or even ethical bribes. I really hate that last one. I I just didn't like that one at all. I thought I better say it. There are a lot of types of lead magnets, okay? Some are more effective than others. My beef is specifically with like static, hands off, downloadable documents like an ebook or like a checklist. So these used to be really effective years ago. I'm not saying they don't work at all today. I'm saying they don't work as well and that there are better and faster ways to build your list than these static downloadable items like eBooks. I think we've advanced past the static freebie and graduated into more interactive forms of lead generation. People are a lot pickier about who they give their email address to Mm -hmm. and they want more interaction from you than just this simple download. They really expect a lot these days. Yep. 
not only do consumers want more interactive content, but I also think that static lead magnets tend to attract the wrong audience. This is partially because businesses don't do an effective job of creating a lead magnet that targets well. So then the email list is filled with people who want free stuff and people who aren't ready to buy. And, and you don't want that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Many people who opt in never even read the static document. It sits on their computer without any attention. And look, I do this all the time. I opt in, then I never revisit the free thing. What do you do when you get a lead magnet, Teresa? Um, uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I am completely guilty of the same, but I do have them organized by topic in a folder that hangs out in the cloud. And I guess probably by now, at least half of them, if not 75%, aren't even relevant anymore. So I should probably bitch them. <laughs> um, so it's no surprise you've organized your lead magnets. <laughs> I keep mine in a specific folder too, but not by topic. I love that you have your freebies organized and separated by topic because that's so you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point about relevance. If your leads don't consume the freebie quickly, then it loses relevance. And guess what? So do you. That's true. So the whole lead magnet to build your list tactic is a bit more complex than what I'm going over now. I just don't want to get into every detail because we'll be here for a really long time. <laughs> so we've highlighted some of the reasons as to why static documents aren't working well to build a list. Experts have been touting for years that you need a lead magnet and they're not entirely wrong. I mean, look, you do need a way to generate leads. I'm just suggesting that we up our game as marketers. We need more interactive methods to attract leads. I mean, we don't want to get boring, do we? No. <laughs> so boring what I'm is the kiss of death, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, marketers are expected to be pretty exciting, actually. So what am I proposing you do to build your list? There are a couple of tactics that I see working better and faster right now, much better than a static document. Option one is to make your lead magnet a free live training webinar and pitch an offer at the end. Okay, don't cringe at that, all right? There's good reasons for that. <laughs> I'm this. not cringing, I swear. <laughs> People still love webinars. They do. I mean, they're not as popular as they were a couple years ago, but they're still really popular. So running training webinars builds your list fast. And even better, it gets you more targeted leads. That makes sense. Yeah. So people love the interactive format of live webinars. They get to see you live and in action. So this interaction actually builds trust much faster. Then you have the added bonus of riding that trust and energy of your webinar into a sale. So in this scenario, you're not just building a list, you're building a more targeted list of buyers or at least people who understand from the start that you're a business and you're going to promote. What a novel idea. Yeah, so a lot of people do get ticked off if you promote and that's why you need to train them from day one that you're a business and that it's okay for you to promote, that you're th that's what you're there to do. Otherwise, you're not gonna be in business anymore, right? That's true. Good Did I just point. say business? I think I just said business. <laughs> business. All right. Option two is to create an interactive assessment quiz. People I love are quizzes. I'm obsessed oh, yeah, with I know. them. I love quizzes too. Yeah. 
people are so short on time and a freebie that takes a long time to consume like an ebook won't interest a lot of people. I mean, they just prefer entertainment and more personalized content. I think that's why quizzes work really well at building a targeted list. They're entertaining and they get people a personalized result at the end. I mean, who doesn't want to know what frozen character they are? Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> so you build an assessment quiz that aligns with your business and try to make it a little fun and entertaining. I actually use Interact for building quizzes because they have really great templates. That was just a little side note there for you. So before you reveal the quiz results to the person, you ask them for an email address. That's how it works to build your list. This also is really cool because it segments your list and creates a more targeted list since you collect all of that data from their quiz answers. You know who needs help with what from those quiz answers. So quizzes are a terrific lead magnet for both your audience and for you as a marketer. Option three is to run a Facebook or Instagram ad to a low dollar offer, something under 50 bucks. Okay, I see this all the time on Facebook and Instagram. Businesses are skipping the whole freebie tactic entirely. They're going right to paid offers. I love this tactic because again, you're building a list of buyers from the get-go. Businesses wouldn't run this play if it wasn't profitable. I'll name a couple of people who are using Facebook ads this way. Allie Bjork, Angie Gensler, Biz Template Babe, Ever Templates, and Billie Jean is Marketing. Those are just a few of the ads I've seen from people whose list I'm not on, people who I don't know or I didn't know, and people who I hadn't bought from before. I want to mention too that in my own experience, I've had more people not on my list buy digital products for me than subscribers. This is so powerful, so listen up. People don't require a freebie to buy from you. You need, the right <laughs> <laughs> you need the right product or offer and you need to get in front of the right audience. This tactic makes you money while building a list of buyers rather than a list of freebie zombies. So I'm curious, Teresa, have you ever bought something from someone who didn't give you a freebie first? Yeah, I sure have. Several times, actually. And you know, it's not just a low dollar offer either. I've actually paid like for high end stuff too. Yeah, I know. Me too. I've invested in both low dollar and higher dollar products without getting a freebie first. So I've, you know, bought from people who I don't know and I've never heard of and I'm not the only one. You just confirmed that you did it and I know lots of other people who do it too. For a lot of consumers, it's about the offer and it's about the problem it solves rather than the cost or even the no like, and trust factor. And you know what? That really goes against the things we've been told and taught, doesn't it? It really does. Um, I'm listening to you say this and I'm like, yeah, it's exactly true. But yet, I think sometimes we force ourselves back into like the, the box of, you know, this is no, but this is how it's supposed to work. Exactly. Um, so something new to think about. I, I love that. I didn't even have to realize it until you said it. Now, I, I buy from people when it's exactly as you described, right? Somebody's hit my pain point, right? They've described exactly what my problem is. And then they're really clear about the solution that they have. And 
that makes me want to buy every time. Yeah. And then think about it. If it's under 50 bucks, there's not like a, a lot of deciding you have to do. As soon as you figure out, yeah, this is something I really need and it's affordable, you're going to dive right in, right? You're not going to be like, huh, I got to think about this. Do I know this person? Do I trust them? Right. Those things kind of just go out the window. So, I mean, we're just, we're just seeing like the start of this has happened maybe a couple years ago, but now you're really seeing marketers use Facebook ads for this purpose. Yep. I'm seeing that a lot. Um, especially in my Facebook feed. All right. The next item up on my list of pet peeves is the advice to experiment with new strategies and tactics. While I agree that it is a good idea to try new strategies and tactics, especially when it comes to marketing, this advice is just misleading to me. So I don't think it's bad advice. I just think it's misleading advice. There just can be too many interpretations here. I see three problems. First, it implies that you always need to be trying new strategies and tactics. Implementing a new strategy just for the sake of doing it without a real purpose or knowing the why behind it, all it does is make more work. And second, entrepreneurs can misunderstand this to mean that they have to abandon old methods. And I disagree with that. And finally, advising someone to experiment with different techniques can lead a business owner to flit from tactic to tactic never giving any one a long enough run to see if it actually works. This can lead to missing out on a really great strategy. And it also makes more work and can contribute to loss of revenue. It's hard to get traction when you don't give a method an honest chance. Instead, consider this path. If a marketing strategy you've diligently implemented isn't working, then go ahead and abandon it. However, keep strategies that are working. Then experiment with one, just one, new strategy or tactic at a time. Again, keep what works in place and add one new strategy to try alongside it. You know I love advice that reduces overwhelm. So awesome. Great. You're so right when you talk about diligently implementing a marketing strategy first. I think most businesses abandon their tactics way too early. You've got to implement, analyze, and adjust quite a lot before you can declare a tactic isn't working. So I love the advice with just start with one. You know I'm all about the one. Okay, this next and final pet peeve gets under my skin big time. I disagree with the advice to work for free. Experts suggest working for free to attract new customers. They also suggest working for free to develop case studies for lead generation. This is a big no, in my opinion. I, yeah, yeah, you agree? I do. Okay. I understand that it could be difficult to get hired when you lack experience or testimonials. However, working for free isn't a good marketing tactic. No. <laughs> you want to generate leads and sales for your business, but not by diminishing your value. Here's what happens when you don't charge a customer for your time. You train your customers not to value your time and your services. People associate money with worth. I know we hate that, but it just happens. Even if it's subconscious, our society equates dollars with worth. Think about it. When you get something for free, do you value it as much as the thing that you paid for? No, you don't. The result is that your client typically takes your work and your time for granted. 
at some point in the future, this client is not going to suddenly want to pay you. They'll resist since they're getting the work for free. And even if they do decide to hire you, their base for comparison is zero dollars since you work for free. So the fee that they're willing to pay is going to be really low, if at all. In fact, I've worked for free more than once. I hate this about myself, but it's the truth. And I know other businesses who have tried this advice of working for free. What ends up happening is you have to fire the client. They don't value you. They don't want to pay you. And you end up being unhappy. Who wants to work for nothing? For zero? No one. What do you gain exactly? No money, no client, nada. <laughs> and you may get a testimonial out of this tactic, but look, there are other better ways to go about getting testimonials and case studies. So no, don't work for free. Don't do it. No. <gasps> you got to start somewhere, right? So start with a low fee if you feel like you need a low price point to begin with. Okay. This is acceptable as long as you raise your fee with each new client that you take on. You can't sustain super low fees indefinitely. Look, it's not good for your confidence, motivation, or for your business to charge cheap rates. The idea is to charge lower rates to build a client base so that you can get your business off the ground. Okay, this is a temporary solution. It's much harder to raise your prices with existing clients, but once you acquire new clients, you're in a really good position to say goodbye, adios, to lower paying clients. I'm curious, Teresa, have you worked for free? And if you have, what experience have you had? This is a great question. So I believe when you work for free, you're essentially saying, I don't value my skills and neither should you. So as a general rule, no, I don't work for free. But there have been special circumstances when I may choose to volunteer my time. And I like to make that distinction. And with a few exceptions, they've been really great experiences. So I would do it again. Yeah, volunteering is, uh, I think that's a little bit different. So I think, you know, the difference between working for free and volunteering, uh, in my book, they're not the same thing. But I will say this, your time is valuable no matter what. It's your most precious commodity because you can never get it back. That's right. You need to honor your time if you expect others to do the same. Your value and your worth starts with you. Amen. Well, I have had fun today. I don't know about I know because this is like, this is your topic. <laughs> I know. I can confidently say that marketing is a favorite topic of mine. I want to clarify something though, because I don't want to be like, you know, being nasty to people who are experts. I'm not saying that we're saying that they're always wrong. We're just sharing our own personal experiences with the marketing advice we've heard and we've received, or even that we've, you know, experienced and tried. If you have had success with these tactics, Terrific. Great for you. If not, we just want you to know that you're not alone. The biggest takeaway from this episode for me is that marketing isn't a one-size-fits-all situation. Your marketing tactics depend on your industry, who you serve, your budget, the stage of your business, and even your personality type. What's right for you may not be right for me, and that's okay. You don't have to do every marketing tactic the experts tell you to do. In fact, you can't do everything. Do what works for you. 
So Teresa, what are your final thoughts on our biggest marketing pet peeves? Well, I think whatever advice you're taking, especially when it comes to marketing, make sure that it comes from a trusted source. Also, make sure you're not listening to too many people. That just leads to confusion. Listening to a couple of really good mentors and taking intentional action can really boost your marketing efforts. The key is to be consistent with whatever you're doing. So now it's your turn. Tell us about one of your marketing pet peeves. We'd love to know. And don't forget that the full show notes are on our website under today's episode at MessyDeskPodcast.com. Please use our website to leave a comment and suggest a topic. If we read your comment on our podcast, we'll send you a $20 Amazon gift card. That's a pretty good deal. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's it for today. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on the Messy Desk Podcast. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the Messy Desk Podcast and leave us a review. We're interested in what you're interested in. So email us at messydeskpodcast at gmail.com with your topic suggestions and questions. And most importantly, stay messy because that's where the growth, progress, and magic happen. If a marketing strategy you dig- digitally, <laughs> although I do feel like cussing right now, <laughs> <All> right. nope, <laughs> business. <laughs>